Well, good morning. Welcome to St. Mark's United Methodist Church. It is so great to be with you uh, in the house of the Lord today. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, according to the Christian calendar, and it's also the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany. And in case you don't know or can't remember what the season of Epiphany is about, the season of Epiphany is a way for the Christian calendar and the Christian church to, <clears throat> to reflect on all the ways that Jesus is the Son of God, the many ways that Jesus manifests himself as the Son of God. And when we started with Epiphany Sunday back on January the 8th, you might remember that story of how the Magi came from the east to visit with Jesus to pay homage to the one who had been born King of the Jews. And the reason why that story is included in our scripture is because these Magi were not Jewish, and yet they were coming to pay homage to the one who had been born King of the Jews. And we believe that this is the Bible's way of saying that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but Jesus came not just for Jewish people, but for all people. Uh, the very next week in the season of Epiphany, we were uh, transported to the day of Jesus' baptism. And you might remember that when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, this voice from heaven came forth and said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It was a way of saying that Jesus is the Son of God. And I love the way that the scriptures are compiled for us in the lectionary readings for the season of Epiphany because here as we get to the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany, once again we hear the voice of God saying that Jesus is God's Son, the Beloved. And so as we end this season of Epiphany and as we begin to move into the season of Lent in the Christian calendar, Jesus is turning his face and his attention towards Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem not to take up a throne as other humans who had claimed that they were kings and messiahs would do. But Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to take up a cross, a cross of a suffering servant. And the one whom the season of Epiphany has reminded us is the Son of God is about to demonstrate clearly how he is also the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Now I'm getting a little bit of ahead of myself. That's what the season of Lent is about. And Lent begins this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And I'm, I'm aware that there may be those within the sound of my voice this morning that may not really know what the season of Lent is about or what Ash Wednesday is about. And so I thought if you would give me just a few moments, I would speak to that. Because believe it or not, the sermon hasn't started yet. I'm still working up to the beginning of the sermon. Ash Wednesday is the first day of the season of Lent, and it is a day where in the Christian year we are reminded of our own mortality, of the fragility of human life, 
of our sinfulness and of our need for a Savior. Now, it's important to note that as we begin this journey and as we observe on Ash Wednesday our own mortality, how fragile we are, um, how sinful we are, how much we need a Savior, we view that through the lens of the redeeming love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ. And on Ash Wednesday, you might be wondering, why in the world do they call it Ash Wednesday? Well, it's because in the Christian tradition, uh, as well as in the Jewish tradition, ashes are oftentimes viewed as a symbol or a sign of repentance. And they're also a reminder that life is fleeting, that uh, from the dust of the earth we were formed, and when we die, to dust we will return. And, and so Ash Wednesday Observance is about acknowledging our sinfulness and about acknowledging our need for a Savior, but these ashes are imposed on us as a way of reminding us that we have been sealed by the cross of Christ. And so on Ash Wednesday, as a part of remembering our mortality and our sinfulness, the invitation will be to come forward where you can receive the sign of the cross, either on your hand like I'm demonstrating here, or on your forehead, as a reminder that sinful though you may be, though you may one day turn back to dust, you have been sealed by the cross of Christ. So I hope that you will join me this Wednesday evening for our Ash Wednesday observance at six o'clock here in the sanctuary. And if you want to join us for the meal at five, just make a reservation either on the pew pads where you signed in your attendance or by calling the church office. Wow, that was the lead up to the sermon the sermon today on this Transfiguration Sunday is this passage of Scripture from Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 9. And the title of the sermon today is A New Face. A New Face. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that a United Methodist minister, before we can officiate a wedding the couple that we officiate the wedding for must have gone through premarital counseling. Now, you don't necessarily have to get that counseling from the pastor who is officiating your wedding, but you do have to get premarital counseling. And the way I like to do premarital counseling is that I like to um, submit a list of questions to the couple uh, because the answers to those questions, I think, are important to consider uh, as you consider getting married. I want to show you some of the questions of one particular pastor, if we could show that video. You need to ask some questions. Y'all need to sit down and go on a whole lot of dates. Uh, what's your name? Is that your real name? Do you have your daddy's name? When can I meet your daddy? Is your dad and mama together? How do you act when you get mad? Do you throw things? Do you cuss around? Do you beat up on people? I need to know, do you have a job? Where do you work at? How much money do you make? How long you been working there? Do you have a bank account? How is your credit? Can I see your credit score? 
Do you have a house or you live in an apartment? Do you pay for your gas in your car? Do you live with your mom and them? I need to understand what you know, what you like to eat. Do you plan on being fine like that all your life? Or you plan on getting big? How many children do you want to have? Will you get upset if we don't have no kids? You plan on having an inheritance? Do you have insurance? Can you pay for your funeral if you were to die today? You need to know who you marry. And don't you dare get married to somebody talking about, I've never seen him angry since I met him. It is not time to marry that person. You need to see how he, how he looked. And you need to ask that woman, how you look without your makeup? Don't put none on tomorrow. I need to see. The hat you got on your head, is that yours or did you purchase it? And if you purchase it, is it paid for or are you in debt? I need to know. <laughs> for the record, I wouldn't advise asking some of those questions. But let me tell you this, for the record... You could ask all of those questions and even add more questions to it. And there is a really, really good chance that by the time you uh, get married, you're going to find out that there's still things you don't know about your spouse. Uh, even if you're just dating somebody, you may think you know everything about them. And people tell me this all the time when they come into premarital counseling. Well, I know everything about my partner. We're, we're going to be happy for the rest of our lives. And I just say, oh, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. <laughs> There's going to come a day when something happens. You're going to see your partner in a different way. You're going to see a new side of them, a new face, something different. Sometimes this stuff just kind of comes gradually to us. Sometimes it's like an instant insight. We see something memorable and we're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. And then even when we have those instant insights about the person that we think we want to spend the rest of our lives with, sometimes it takes us a long time after we've had those instant insights to begin to make sense of what we've experienced. And, and I can guarantee you, though, at some point in a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a dating relationship, or whether it's a marriage, you're going to see your significant other in a different way, with a new face or a new side. I think that's what's going on here in our scripture lesson that we have this morning. You've got Peter, James, and John. Remember when Jesus called Peter, James, and John? These three guys were some of the first disciples. They are the first disciples recorded in the Gospels that Jesus invited to follow him. They were three fishermen. They'd been out fishing all night long. Jesus is walking down the Sea of Galilee by the shoreline and he calls them to follow him. Now, we don't know if that's the very first time that Peter, James, and John had ever laid eyes on Jesus or whether they'd seen him teach and watch him do miracles uh, before that time. 
We don't know whether or not this is the first time that they'd seen Jesus, but what we can safely assume is that regardless of how much they had been exposed to Jesus and His teaching and His preaching and His healing before, that there are still new things that they are going to learn about Jesus once they begin to follow Him. They're going to still see Him in different new ways. They're going to see new sides to Him. They are going to see a new face. Uh, they are going to see Jesus in ways that they have not seen Jesus before. Luke tells us, uh, which is not told to us by Matthew's Gospel that we read this morning, but Luke tells us that these three disciples of Jesus went up onto the mountain with Jesus to pray. None of the Gospel writers tell us which mountain they went on. Most people, uh, for most of my life, believe that the mountain that Jesus went up on was Mount Tabor. And it's actually called the Mount of Transfiguration. But there are a lot of people today that speculate that maybe the mountain that Jesus actually took Peter, James, and John up was Mount Hermon. And because Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in all of Israel, and it is very near to Caesarea Philippi, where, according to Matthew, Jesus has spent the previous week of his life before the scripture that we read today. If it was... Mount Hermon, uh, Mount Hermon for about six months out of the year is its highest elevation is covered with snow. So it may be that Jesus, when he went up the mountain with these three disciples, that they didn't even make it to the top of the mountain because it was all covered with snow. And so instead they found this nice secluded place where they could go and pray. Now, need I remind you that climbing mountains is not very easy. Uh, we learned this the hard way as a staff. A few months ago, we spent a day or two at a staff retreat up in Grundy County, and we'd kind of been going at it for a long time, and we just decided we need a little break. And so I suggested, well, why don't we just go hike out to Stone Door? Now, none of us brought hiking boots or hiking uh, sticks or anything like that. So we take off on this hike out to Stone Door, and we're on our way up there, and I'm looking back at the staff, and they're looking at me, and we're like, okay, maybe this wasn't a good idea. You know, you start questioning whether or not you should have ever embarked on this journey up the mountain. You start asking yourself, is it going to be worth it? I hope to goodness that when we get up to where we're going, that at least it's going to be a nice, beautiful scene and a view for us to enjoy. Don't you know that the disciples probably had that same sort of feeling? Like, I don't know why in the world we have to pray up on a mountaintop. Couldn't we just have easily prayed down here? I don't know where he's taking us to. I hope he's not going to take us up into the snow because I'm not prepared for that. And I hope to goodness that wherever we get where we're going, that it's worth the trip to go. And so the disciples get up there onto this uh, mountaintop, wherever it is that they begin, that they decide to stop, and all of a sudden Jesus' face shines like the sun, and all of a sudden his clothes become dazzling white, 
And those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are realizing what we've realized about being in relationships is that you can really know somebody. You can think you know them. But if you're around them long enough, you're going to see them in a different way. You're going to see them in a different light. You're going to see a new side to them. You're going to see a new face. And so Peter is so awestruck by what he sees, uh, he decides that maybe it's a good idea that we stick around for a while. So he proposes that they do just that. He says, I'll make a, a dwelling place uh, one for you, Jesus, and one for these two guys that have joined you, uh, Elijah and Moses, and, and we'll just stay here a while. And see, the fact that this Elijah and Moses were there is another way that they began to see Jesus in a different way, a new way, a new side of Jesus. Both Elijah and Moses had experience on the mountaintop. You might remember that Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. So he's been on the mountaintop before. You might remember that Elijah went up on Mount Horeb and that he, while he didn't see God in the earthquake and while he didn't see God in the wind, he did experience God in a still, small voice. Uh, Moses, many believe, is there because he represents the law that God gave to Moses in the form of the Ten Commandments. Many believe that Elijah was there because Elijah was the greatest of the prophets and so the fact that Jesus is engaged in a conversation with these two giant figures of the Jewish faith in and of itself helps those disciples to understand Jesus in a new way, a different way. They see a new side to Jesus. And then Peter wants to stay up there because he's seen this different way. And all of a sudden, as we talked about before, this voice from heaven says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. It's as if God is saying, not only do you want to be able to see Jesus in a new way or a different way, but you're invited to hear Jesus in a new way. A different way. That's what the season of Lent helps us to do. As we begin to journey with Jesus as He turns toward Jerusalem and, and journeys to the cross, we continue to get glimpses of Jesus that we might not have gotten any other way. We see new sides of Jesus New faces of Jesus. That's what we want to be as a church. Not only as we uh, journey through the season of Lent, but if you've been reading or if you came this morning to our Sunday school assembly, you know that as a United Methodist congregation, we want to wake to God's dream for St. Mark's United Methodist Church in the days and weeks and years to come. And so one of the things that I want to invite all of us to do is to put ourselves in a position to, to invest in a relationship with God that will allow us to see God in all the ways that God wants us to see God. 
And I want us to put ourselves in a position to have the kind of relationship where we can hear God in all the different ways that God wants us to hear so that we can be a faithful presence in our community and in our world.